The following talk was given by Bear Gokon Bonabakar at Zen Mountain Monastery. Gokon is a senior monastic and dharma holder in the Mountains and Rivers Order. He serves as director of operations at Zen Mountain Monastery and also helps run the National Buddhist Prison Sangha. This talk, like all of our talks, is given free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. There's a passage from the Faith Mind poem. The way is perfect, like vast space, where nothing is lacking and nothing, nothing is in excess. Indeed, it is due to our choosing to accept or reject that we do not see the true nature of things. Leave neither in the entanglements of outer things nor in inner feelings of emptiness. Be serene in the oneness of things, and such erroneous views will disappear by themselves. When you try to stop activity to achieve passivity, your very effort fills you with activity. As long as you remain in one extreme or the other, you will never know oneness. This is a teaching poem that is um, from early in the Chan tradition. So Chan in China before it became Zen in Japan. It can also be translated, the title is Faith in Mind, or Trust in Mind, in Heart Mind. Last month I was, um, a few weeks ago, I was in, in Hermitage, so I spent a week in solitary practice, and this line about trying to stop activity in order to achieve passivity, that the effort itself is activity, was sort of with me, was coming up as I practiced. There is this fundamental understanding, this truth, that things as they are, are the way. The way. The way itself is perfect. This moment is perfect. There is nothing lacking. There is nothing extra. Just as it is, it is complete and that this is true of all things, just as they are. It is true of each of us, just as we are. Nothing lacking, nothing in excess. Can we trust this? What would it be to trust this? Mostly we don't trust this. We see lacking, we see extra excess see a need to add something, to fix something, take away something, to adjust at least slightly, then maybe perfect, complete. And in Hermitage, this line came up and I was, was spending some time with this poem um, because seeing, even as I got quieter, as I got quieter, just by myself, my zazen getting quieter, seeing, however so subtly, my controlling, my trying to fix, trying to, trying to make my mind be clear. Controlling rather than trusting. 
that very effort clouding the mind. The way is perfect. We are held in this understanding, this truth. I've been reading a book by Traleg Rinpoche, was a Tibetan teacher, teacher in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. And um, one of the things he says is that there are some things that we need to believe in order to practice meditation, in order to practice well. And that kind of caught my attention. I, um, you know, during most of the introductory weekends that we offer, um, often I'll say, you d- there's nothing in Zen that you need to believe. Right? I like to, I like to say that because there's such a kind of deep, um, don't tell me what I have to believe, don't tell me what to do, that runs through us, that is in us, many of us, is in me. And there is always in, the, in Buddhism the understanding that we need to ver- verify for ourselves. Right? The, the Buddha famously said that himself, not to believe what he said just because he was the Buddha, even though he was speaking from his own experience, but to verify for ourselves. And we do need to have conviction, some trust in the teachings, some trust in what we're doing. The Buddhists sometimes talked about as the physician who gave us our, our diagnosis. Just have some trust in that, some in that analysis. The teachings are always pointing us to our own mind to help us understand our own experience so that we can work with it, so that we can work with our mind. I've been hearing Shugen, or I sometimes hear Shugen talk about how we, um, as we study and practice, the two merge, the words of the teachings, as we verify them, them for ourselves, become our own words. I was remembering him long ago. This is something that is, always comes back to me, him talking about sort of seeing for himself that what we are doing in practice is deepening and clarifying continually our understanding of the Four Noble Truths, of the basic teachings, the fundamental teachings of the Buddha. These noble truths, which are truths, not an opinion. So Trala Rinpoche says that we need to believe that liberation is possible, that ignorance is the cause of samsaric bondage, that conflicting emotions are hindrances. So we have to believe that liberation is possible. Have some faith for ourselves. This is the foundation of Buddhism. What the Buddha somehow had great faith in himself. Before there were any Buddhist teachings, he had great faith that somehow there must be a way to liberate suffering, that there must be a way for him, he knew, to liberate his suffering, to be free, 
in his life. We have to have enough faith to engage practice, to practice. Enough faith in ourselves. Trust that things can change, that we can change, that we can transform, that our suffering can loosen, can soften, can be freed. If we don't believe that, then what? If we don't have faith in that, then what? And we practice and verify, of course, there is some doubt in ourselves at times, or maybe for a long time. Questions about the teachings, questions about the practice. Is this working? Can this work for me? We practice and we verify. We develop trust as we see things change, as we see our mind settle, as we see that we can let go. We develop trust in ourselves, find our own feet in practice. He says we need to believe that ignorance is the cause of samsaric bondage. Samsara is suffering, is the cycle of suffering. This cycle of looking for satisfaction, for pleasure, for relief, and finding and being disappointed. Ignorance is not seeing things as they are, not seeing some sorrow for what it is, or grasping for what it is. And so just a, a different way of talking about the noble truths of suffering and the cessation of suffering. Acknowledging suffering, meeting suffering, that we are in some way caught in a cycle of suffering, of disappointment, of dis-ease, habits and behaviors and reactions. And in this there is hearing, finding that the understanding that the cause of our suffering is not outside of ourselves, is for the most part created by our own mind and how we use it. And so we're ending a retreat today that Shoan and I were offering. And we talked yesterday about taking responsibility. Practice is about looking inside, looking at our own experience at our own mind, because this is where we can work. This is where we can change. This is where suffering can be liberated, where transformation is possible. We're so accustomed to putting the problem outside, to blaming, to trying to control, trying to fix the conditions that we are in the midst of. And so accepting that that is not the way, that is samsara, that is the cycle. And so turn inside, look inside, not because I am flawed, but because this is where I can work. And to study and verify that, it is a revolution. Charlie Rinpoche says that we need to believe that conflicting emotions 
maybe substitute understand. The conflicting emotions are hindrances. And so conflicting emotions are the kleshas, something else that we talked about yesterday. The kleshas are traditionally listed as greed, anger, ignorance, pride, jealousy. Charlie Grimpache translates klesha as adventitious mental conflicting emotions. So conflicting emotions, binding emotions, difficult emotions, the feelings that come up in our body, mind, and seem to bind us, sometimes seem to control us. They're not limited to this list of five. It is these five and all of their cousins and neighbors and descendants, variations, shades. The feeling of the kleshas is often difficult. It is uncomfortable. It may be scary. And they are hindrances. They keep us from seeing our true nature, from being at peace in the way. You can sort of feel into that, think of that, the next time that you are caught in an emotion, in anger, in jealousy, in wanting, how that clouds the mind. That is like that takes over body-mind. Of course you're not seeing your true nature. The true nature of things. Early in my practice, I was working with Myotai Sensei, who was Tadaroshi's first successor, and um, went into face-to-face teaching with her. I was very upset about something that had happened. My heart had been broken a little bit. And um, took that into Dyson and, and was upset and also like asking her, is this, you know, so I'm kind of asking for help with this. Is this Dharma practice? And she said, whatever barrier you're, you're encountering, that's what's keeping you from seeing your true nature. I didn't know at the time, couldn't hear at the time, sort of the, um, well, I did hear something that was helpful. And it was both the sort of, um, what was most helpful is just that pointing, that this is where the work is. This is where the work is. Whatever the barrier is, if anger is a barrier, if self-doubt is a barrier, if disappointment is a barrier, if distraction is a barrier, if dullness is a barrier, that's where the work is. How do you liberate, enlighten, bring light to that, bring space to that? And to hear in this teaching that this is where everyone is working. What everyone works on. I think there can be a, I know in myself and I hear from others, um, a kind of desire to get past this. Wanting to skip over, transcend, be transported to the realm of enlightenment directly. 
whatever we think that is. Whatever barrier you're facing, that's the way through. That's where the work is. Not to live in these entanglements, but to find how to untangle them, how to liberate them. And so again, sometimes it may be clear that it's greed, it's anger, it's jealousy, it's arrogance. But often it's a kind of shade of that. There are lots of different things that we feel. I've been doing a little bit of um, men's work with some of the men in the Sangha, examining the particular conditioning that um, men experience, receive, live in, my particular conditioning in this body, and studying a little bit. And one of the um, um, a kind of analysis in, um, in looking at men's conditioning is that men are not encouraged or kind of allowed to feel the full range of emotion that we humans feel. That anger is acceptable, maybe sadness, maybe numbness, maybe some joy. And so kind of raising the question, so when there is anger or numbness, depression, is that what it is? Or is there more going on down below? Something more complex and maybe messy? Because we can know that we are all having a full range of our human emotions at different times. And so maybe on this day when we are appreciating fathers in particular, um, I was thinking of my father. So maybe think of a man that you have known as angry at times. Maybe that's you. And so thinking of my father and when he was angry, thinking that there were probably times when actually what he was feeling was insecure or ashamed, when he was afraid. Maybe he was sad or jealous or disappointed lonely, felt unloved or unwanted. These two are clashes, but may come out as anger, be turned inwards as depression, as numbness, come out in confused ways that are harmful for ourselves, for others. And so it may be helpful, can be helpful to name the kleshas, this human experience. And then to look in ourselves, to name some of these patterns so that we can explore and examine in ourselves. This teaching is pointing to our own mind, to our own experience. So Trala Grimpache translates, as I said, Glaciers as adventitious mental conflicting emotions. And some of you know that adventitious, adventitious 
is my favorite Buddhist word. <laughs> and so I got a little bit excited when I saw that he used it. And it's my favorite Buddhist word, but I have to look it up every time, <laughs> still. It means happening or carried on according to chance rather than design or inherent nature. So it is not inherent and is not by design. Right? We don't decide to get jealous. It's not by design that we get upset, that we feel like a, a disappointment. And it is not inevitable. That's what adventitious means. And this time when I looked it up, I found a new part of a definition. That in biology, it means formed accidentally. And the example sentence was really just a phrase. Propagation of sour cherries by adventitious shoots. So I got even more excited. <laughs> And so, this is a little bit of a side note. This is actually how fruits are developed. <laughs> there are naturally occurring, adventitious, apparently accidental, new varieties that grow in nature. And so, fruit breeders will plant thousands of apple seeds, and maybe one tree will come up as a new variety of apple. And there also are varieties that will um, develop from a mutation. And so a red apple might produce a yellow variety, and then that can be selected. And I think that's called a sport. So like there will be a yellow sport of a red apple. So I was thinking, when one of your favorite kleshas arises, as you become familiar with it, you might say, hey, sport. <laughs> but kleshas are not accidental. Nothing is accidental. Right? Kleshas arise from causes and conditions. Everything arises dependent on causes and conditions. We just don't see them. So I was in the orchard earlier this week, and I was weeding in the raspberry bed and found some sour cherry shoots. And I was like, what are you doing here? The sour cherries are over there. This is the raspberry bed but this is where they popped up. Taking advantage of causes and conditions. Maybe the soil is better in the raspberry bed and we don't mow there so they haven't gotten mowed down. And so glaciers are kind of the same way. There are causes and conditions. We don't just get irritated randomly as we go about our business, as we're walking down the street, right? Something happens and we react. There is a pattern 
It is a habitual pattern. There is a seed of anger in our consciousness. There is something that we have learned, a way that we have learned to, to react. Feelings in my body, thoughts, one thing leads to another. And since the klesha is taking advantage of causes and conditions to arise in us. And so we can learn this, we can study this, we can see this, get familiar with this, see the causes and conditions, the pattern, the habit. And given some space, seeing that, seeing how we've been reacting to that, how we do react to that, we can try something different. So I started with, we cannot achieve passivity through activity. Pushing away doesn't work. Controlling doesn't work. We all do it. We all try it. It doesn't work. It may seem like it's working, that you can push away your thoughts, make your mind be quiet. It may seem that you cannot be angry, just decide not to be angry. Push away the uncomfortable feelings unwantedness, disappointment. But when we're working in opposition in that way, trying to control or push away or cut off, we're working out of our confused view, our misunderstanding. We're seeing that thing as fixed, as inherent, as solid, as something that we could cut out, push away that it's outside of us in some way. But it is just an adventitious arising, an adventitious coming into being, result of causes and conditions. And when we're working with barriers, with these things that arise in us, we're working with our karmic self, our self that arises from causes and conditions. You could call this our of ego self. And you can't cut that off either, get rid of that either. Again, when we're trying to do that, and we're working in opposition, we're seeing that as something solid, something that we could get rid of. What is it? Where is it? What would you cut out? What would you get rid of? And so when there is the feeling that um, I continue to feel at times of, I don't want this anymore. I should be done with this by now. I don't want to be working with this. I want to get on to the real practice, to the real Zen. Why does it keep coming up? Because there is still energy in it. The causes and conditions for it to arise are still there. That's all. And so the practice, this is something that we talked about yesterday in working with difficult emotions, is to come closer. What's actually happening? 
to bring our awareness to the feeling, the feeling in the body, to see the story, to see the thoughts, and can you get below the thoughts to just the feeling? What's happening in your body? What's happening? What's going on? Where, what's, what is this? It's hard to do that. It's hard to do that. It is similar to the instruction in working with pain in Zazen. And so when you're not able to let go, when you have pain in your body and your knees that is distracting you from your practice, the instruction is to turn towards it, to turn into it, become intimate with it, not trying to push away, not trying to fix it, not trying to control, not making it more than it is, not adding to it. It's just a sensation. We can learn to do that, to just be directly with the sensation. What happens then? That's revolutionary. Not suppressing, not ignoring, not fighting, not trying to change. It's hard to do, but it is the way. Sokni Rinpoche, another Tibetan teacher, says that when we meet a klesha, our tendency is, is that we say to the klesha, you are not okay, so I'm going to fix you. I'm going to bring in okay from the outside and put it in your place. But we can learn to be okay with not okay. So learning to be intimate with the pain in our knees There is pain, not okay, but it's okay. We're okay. We can learn that. And that we don't need okay from the outside. This again is our confused view that we need to bring it in from the outside. When we truly stop looking for okay from the outside, then we can find that we're okay truly okay, completely okay. Sokni Rinpoche talks about the kleshas as beautiful monsters. They're beautiful because they are empty and free as they are, without fixed characteristic, like everything else. They are defilements, they are hindrances but just adventitious ones. The sour cherry roots, shoots, were beautiful. They are adventitious arisings coming into being, not inherently good or bad. There is just this sensation in body-mind. And so look, when we look directly, what do we find? What is it? And so we talked about this some yesterday, examined this sort of in live time. It's moving. It's changing, if we allow it. Usually we don't see this. This is difficult to see in the moment. 
But if we can allow enough space, slow things down, not react in the way that we usually react. As Sokni Rinpoche says, it has its own ability to change. It is change. That's its nature, actually. And when it opens, when we allow it to open, then we know. We know for ourselves, we know directly both how it is beautiful and how it is monster. We know for ourselves. And it seems that we need to see this over and over and over again. To keep seeing that. So I didn't get mad at the cherry shoots. They were just doing their thing, looking for nourishment, sunlight, wanting to grow. They are beautiful. And in the moment of meeting them, I loved them. But they don't belong in the raspberry bed. We're trying to grow raspberries there. I want the raspberries to flourish. The metaphor may break down a little bit here. (laughs) But I took my clippers out and I cut off the shoots. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as cushions, incense, liturgical instruments, Dharma books, and more, visit monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.